Today I'm talking, we're in that prayer series, and we're talking about making tough decisions with God's help. You're at the gas station, and you look up, and there's this thing that's beeping. It's the lottery number. And you see the the quantity of millions of dollars that maybe is in the 649 or Lotto Max. You start to dream about how your life would be different if you actually won the lottery. Now, as good Baptist people, we're not going to talk about that, so just ignore what I said. Now, in all seriousness, if you trace back far enough, you'll discover that lottery comes from an ancient practice of casting lots. I am not giving you permission to do the lottery. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. A lottery refers to the act of making a choice based on the outcome of a random event. We find in the New Testament that lots often were used to make important decisions, such as apportioning the land among the 12 tribes, chosen with the 12 servants during the the days of kings. One of the most significant lotteries, we'll put those in quotation marks, took place on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would choose two goats, one to be sacrificed as a sin offering— And the other one would be released into the wilderness as a scapegoat. If you watch the states in the U.S. on Thanksgiving Day, the president always pardons the turkey, one of the turkeys. That's like back in the Old Testament days. The high priest would cast lots in order to determine what goat was sacrificed and which one would be released. No one really knows how casting of lots works. Some people think it involved the two stones that were on the breastplate of the high priest. It might have involved colored stones that were in a jar and shaken, each stone representing a yes or a no. The first stone that fell out was considered to be the will of God. And you're going, wow, I came to church to hear Matt talk about lotteries. That may seem rather superstitious, but the book of Proverbs has an important word for us to consider. It's going to be on the screen. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. I want you to notice for a second that those three words, it's every decision. This means that nothing in life happens by chance. Not even when a stone falls out of the jar first. Even the random events of life always come under God's divine control. Now, we as Christians, as Christ followers, find enormous assurance in that everything that happens fits into God's plan. And nothing happens by accident. But if Solomon, the author of Proverbs, is correct, there's no such thing as fate or chance. Even the numbers on the dice come under his direct control. Well, the New Testament, that's the Old Testament. The New Testament actually talks about two examples of casting lots. First, the soldiers around the cross cast lots to divide Christ's garments. The the second example, and this is where we're going to spend some time this morning, and it will make sense to you about prayer, is found in our text in Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. Just hang out there for a second. 
Now, this story takes place during the 10-day period between the Ascension and the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 is when the church starts to really get formed. The Apostle Peter has just told the disciples about the betrayal of Judas that was predicted in the Old Testament. So the disciples are sitting around. They propose two men. They propose Joseph called Barasabas, but he's also known as Justice, and they propose Matthias. Then they prayed, and you see this in Acts chapter 1, verse 24. They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then a crazy thing happens there. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. And so we're going to walk through what Acts 1, verse 21 through 26 teach us about prayer. Okay, so the very first one, the need. Okay, so there's always a need. Acts 21, I mean, sorry, Acts 1, verse 21 and 22 says this. If you have your Bibles, follow along. If not, it'll be on the screen. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who has been with us the whole time the Lord was the Lord Jesus was living among us. Verse 22, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of those must be a witness of us, of his resurrection. So the story begins with Peter's insistence that a replacement has to be chosen for Judas. Some scholars have wondered, why do we need a replacement? It left a vacancy that, that needed filling. Peter just quoted Psalm 109, verse 8 in Acts chapter 1, verse 20, showing that the Bible itself predicted that someone would replace Judas. Judas had abused his trust. He had died in disgrace, which left a hole in that team, in the ranks of the Christian movement. Therefore, the position must be filled in order for God's work to go on properly. Paul, I mean, sorry, Peter then mentions three important things there in Acts 1, 21 and 22. He says this, he must have been with Christ from the very beginning of his ministry. He must be known by the apostles. And he must be a witness to the resurrection. This was essential because the resurrection is the heart of our Christian faith. Our faith, yours and my faith, rests on the eyewitness testimony of men who knew Jesus intimately and publicly declared what they had seen and heard. It was crucial that the apostle that was chosen to replace Judas must be someone who could stand up and say this, I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. I know Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, so we have the need. Here's the second thing we have. The nomination. Okay, the nomination. Look at verse 23. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barasabas, known as Justice, and Matthias. There's two men that are put forward. Joseph, who was called Barabbas, who is known also as Justice. Other than that mention, we know nothing about this guy. 
And then there was this man named Matthias. We don't know anything about him either. Even though he's chosen to replace Judas, his name is never mentioned again anywhere else. Now, there's an early Christian uh, a church historian who says that these men were both part of the 70 who was sent out two by two, that Jesus sent out two by two. It's good thoughts. We can't make sense of it. We only know that these two men met the three requirements that Peter had declared. In light of what took place later, it seems that these two men were excellent choices. They were well-known. They were well-respected. They had good records as followers of Jesus. Both seemed to be men of a, who were above reproach. To be honest, it seems like both of these men could be perfect fits for the role that, that comes into question. But this raises a critical question. And here's where we shift. What do you do when both men on the ballot are good men, but you only can vote for one? You and I face questions like that all the time. You're thinking about buying a new house, but which one and how should you pay for it? Or you've been offered a good job, but you're happy where you are, where you are but you wouldn't mind changing either. What do you do then? Or you've applied to three colleges and been accepted by two. How do you choose between the two? Remember that the choice between Matthias and Barabbas is the choice between two good men. There's no obvious reason whether to favor one or the other. It's easy to make a decision when one option is clearly better than the other. But what do you do when you have two good, two betters, or perhaps even two great choices? How do you determine God's will then? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 1. Let's look at the prayer. Okay, so Acts chapter 1, look at verse 24 and 25. The prayer, verse 24, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Friends, the answer is really simple. You do what the disciples did. You pray and you ask God to help you. This is the first recorded prayer in the history of the Christian church. I also want you to note that they were praying they weren't praying to change God's will, but to know God's will. Sometimes, you and I, when we think about our prayers, we pray in order to change the will of God, to try to get him to do what we want him to do. We're trying to convince him our way is the best. The prayer is the opposite. They basically say this, Lord, you know the hearts of everyone, and you know what you need for this job. Show us who you already have chosen to replace Judas. I love this prayer. This is the kind of prayer that we actually need to model in our own life. It's based on the first rule of the spiritual life. He's God and we're not. So often we pray, Lord, here's my agenda. Can you please bless it? When we ought to pray, Lord, show me your agenda so I can do it. During the Civil War, someone asked President Lincoln this, do you think that God is on our side? President Lincoln said, I don't know. 
I haven't thought about that, but I'm very anxious to know whether we are on his side. There are really two prayers that we can pray in the universe. The first one is this, my will be done, or the second is thy will be done. If life is like driving a car, for many of us, becoming a Christ follower, Christian, means pulling over and letting Jesus Christ join us on the passenger side and while we stay behind the wheel. Then we wonder why we keep bumping into things all the time and running into the ditch. What a difference it makes when we yield control of our life to Jesus Christ. When Jesus drives, we can sit in the passenger seat without fear, knowing he'll steer the car safely to its appointed destination. I think some of us are struggling today because we've never really surrendered our will to God. Friends, until you do, you'll never be happy and you'll never be free. Well, here's the fourth thing we learn from Acts chapter 1, the biblical lottery. Verse 26, they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 disciples, apostles. Maybe they wrote the names uh, on pieces of parchment paper. Maybe they put them in a jar. Maybe they shook them up. Maybe they waited for one name to fall out. When they did that, the name of Matthias, Matthias came out first. From that moment on, the disciples recognized him as the 12th apostle. Over the centuries, some biblical comment, commentators have wondered whether or not this was a legitimate election. Some people argued that casting lots was inappropriate because it belonged in the Old Testament. It's true that we have no more records of casting lots in the New Testament, which may or may not be significant. There is nothing in this text to suggest that Peter and the disciples made a mistake. What happened was simple and biblical. They had a vacancy. Peter made a speech. The people nominated two men. Peter prayed. They shook the dice. They rolled the dice. They put the names in a jar. And Matthias was chosen as an apostle. I believe that Matthias was just as much an apostle as Peter or James or John. And friends, I also believe there was nothing wrong or unethical about casting lots. We do a similar thing every time we vote on something as a church. We ask God for guidance. We trust God to speak through the the unified voice of the congregation. And we make a decision. Okay, let's move away from lotteries and dice for a second. What do we learn about from this passage about how to make tough decisions? Here's six steps to make a healthy decision. And it comes right from Acts chapter 1. The very first one is always seek godly counsel. Always seek godly counsel. The second thing is always search the scriptures. Always go to scripture. The third, list your options. The fourth, pray. Pray for God's guidance. And the fifth, make the best decision that you can. And then the sixth, move on and leave the results with God. Friends, if you do the first four, when the time comes to make the decision, you can do what you think is best and then move on down the road, trusting God to take care of the results. In essence, this is what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 means when it says that God will direct your path. 
if you trust him with your decisions, he will lead you step by step exactly where he wants you to go. Now, friends, it may not be easy or painless. And friends, you will go through times of uncertainty and nights of doubt. But in the end, the God who makes his will known in Acts chapter 1 will make his will known to you. I know what you're thinking, but what if I make a decision and later on I conclude that was a mistake? My answer is simply this. If your heart is set on obeying God and your will is surrendered to him, that can't happen. Your decisions may not always work out the way that you want or expect, and sometimes they'll blow up in your face. But a bad or negative result doesn't necessarily mean that you've made a mistake. Many good decisions often have bad results on a human level. Even decisions that we believe are made in the will of God, those bad results are simply part of God's plan for your life part of his step-by-step training process to make you more like Jesus. Everything in this passage is based on the fact that Jesus Christ is alive today. That's why his disciples could pray to him with confidence, knowing that he would answer. That's why they could trust him to make the decision for them. What he did for them and what he will do for you and me is still the same. If you ever dare to let go and let Jesus take control, he'll lead you from where you are today exactly to where he wants you tomorrow. Are you willing to let go of your own agenda and let him lead the way? Or do you still think that you need to be in the driver's seat of life? A few days ago, I heard Erwin Lutzer say this, and this is huge. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Arrows shot at random Arrows shot at random hit targets appointed by God. Let me say it again. Arrows shot at random hit targets appointed by God. We could paraphrase Proverbs 16.33 this way. Life is like a roll of the dice, but God is in charge of how the numbers come up. Be encouraged, my friends. Be encouraged as children of God. The Lord Jesus watches over you day and night. Put your trust in Jesus and let him take care of how the numbers or the lot or the plans come up. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to share a a message with my friends just about prayer and the importance of prayer. Help us not be immobilized simply by looking at decisions and not knowing which one to go. Or looking at decisions that both of them are seem like the right decision. Lord, may we surrender. May it be about surrender to you. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, may the Holy Spirit prompt and guide Lord, we love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.